You know what these are? You know what these are? They are special goggles. I'm calling everybody to put on their neighboring goggles. These are my neighboring goggles. Yeah. You got to find your pair. Without your neighboring goggles, you will not see the needs right around you. Now, the reason I'm holding them is because unfortunately this morning, I broke my neighboring goggles. Yeah. And a lot of our goggles, our neighboring goggles are broken. You know, we we talk about, uh, you know, the least of these. And Jesus said, minister to your neighbor. And we um, relegate the neighbor when he says the least of these to, of course, the poor, those in prison, uh, those on the other side of the world in third world countries, the orphans, the widow. But a lot of times, the least of these or where you work, the person right next to you. Without your neighboring goggles on, you will not recognize the need that's right there. Or the person at school. That student, that's the outcast. The weird one. The one that if you hang out with, your social profile goes down, not up. Could be somebody in your own family. Could be your actual physical next door neighbor. Could be the person sitting right next to you right now. We certainly reach to the other ends of the earth. I mean, Jesus said that he called us to be his witnesses, that is sharing and showing the gospel. Not just flapping our lips and talking about Jesus, but then not being compassionate. And just being compassionate and not sharing the gospel with somebody also uh, does not fix their ultimate need, which is their spiritual need. We need to share the gospel and, say it out loud, show the gospel. Let's do it again. We need to share the gospel and show the gospel. And so Jesus said, do it in Jerusalem, which would be our Escondido and, uh, Judea, which would be, let's say what, Temecula down to uh, Chula Vista, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which might be Tijuana and maybe going up to LA and to the ends of the earth, which is obviously the rest of the country overseas. But today I want to talk to you about our needs right here at home. Especially because of what we've experienced the last couple of years as a human race. The, the pain has gone deeper and more pervasive than I think any of us have ever experienced in our lifetime, maybe. Last week we looked at the uh, Good Samaritan and how this guy is beaten up and on the side of the road. Jesus painted that picture. And you have the pastor and the congregation members walking right by him. We look, but we look at that suffering person through the goggles of inconvenience, financial cost, and social stigma. Don't want to be identified with that person. But the Samaritan comes along with the gospel goggles on of compassion, neighboring goggles, and stopped and saw and did something about it. That's what compassion does. Sometimes you and I are the least of these. Tragedy and suffering is indiscriminate. It doesn't like let you know it's coming. Sometimes it just hits you and you become the least of these. You never imagined that you would be and there you are. 
And so I want us, I believe God wants us to be the good Samaritan to one another, to our neighbors, to those closest to us, to recognize somebody that's hurting. A lot of times it's not that we're uncaring. I mean, if you're not aware, it might be because you don't care. But a lot of times when we're unaware, it's just because we're too busy. We just blow right by people that are right in front of you. I remember one time I was doing a membership class in our church and I was busy getting through the material, right? I'm teaching the class, teaching the class, teaching the class. And I was just blowing through water baptism and somebody stopped me in the class and said, pastor, can you stop for a minute? I was like, I really don't want to. I'm doing my job. And he looked and saw a gal in my class that was all teared up. And he said, are you being touched by the water baptism? And she said, yes. She had never been water baptized. We had a baptism yesterday, by the way, which was awesome. Eva got baptized. And Jen's girls got baptized. Uh, We'll show a video of that next week. Michaela's putting that together. But she was so deeply moved by water baptism, and she had never been water baptized, that I would have totally missed it. We ended up doing a jacuzzi for Jesus with her and her husband. Her family was there. It was an amazing time of, for her spiritually and for her family and for her friends to witness that whole thing. I would have blown right by it because I didn't have my goggles on to be sensitive to what's right in front of me. So before I go into talking about uh, the needs that could be in your actual neighbor that we need to recognize. I want to give a qualifier because we've been in this compassion series. And when I was just new in the ministry, I quit the ministry because I ended up with what, what they now call uh, compassion fatigue. I felt that to be a good pastor, I needed to be there for everyone ever, all the time and meet every need they had. Anybody ever felt that way before where you just, okay, I got one nod, I got another nod. Anybody else? Yeah, I got another nod. I got one right here. Okay, I got one over here. Okay. All the rest of you just clearly don't have compassion. So that was last week's message that God would impart his compassion to us because we need God's compassion, not just our human compassion because our human compassion is very limited. God's compassion is unlimited. Today, I want to talk to you not about getting God's compassion flowing through our hearts, but God's wisdom on practical compassion giving. I had to take, uh, uh, what they called caregiving courses because I was interpreting, my, my interpretation of being a good pastor was, you know, Jesus said, if somebody asked for your shirt, give me your coat too. I thought I had to give him my whole closet, right? Like if you're a real Christian, you're going to give everything you have to those who are in need. And so I'm going to give you three qualifiers before we go into recognizing the needs of those around you. I do want to give this, this piece of wisdom here. Three uh, things I want to say to you about giving compassion. One, you might be enabling a person who needs to take personal responsibility. So sometimes helping hurts. That's why like if somebody here needs you know, financial help, we have to meet somebody on our financial team find out how you got into the situation and how to help you not get into that situation in the future and get you financially stable as we help you along the way, right? And so it doesn't help 
people just to give out handouts much of the time. Sometimes there's a reason they're in that situation. You want to help them out comprehensively. So you don't get in God's way because sometimes that person, uh, God's trying to do something with them and you get in the way when you um, decide just to give arbitrarily. Secondly, you have limited resources. God doesn't, but you and I do. I want you to say this next phrase out loud with me. Stewardship is not selfishness. Say that out loud. Stewardship is not selfishness. Boy, this saved my life. When I realized that I only have so much... Jesus, in human form, could not meet everybody's need. Oh. True. One of the scriptures that really set me free, and I don't want to get deep into this teaching because I want to talk about actually giving compassion. But um, when I was learning these boundaries and caregiving, one of the scriptures that gave me the freedom to have boundaries was Jesus ministered all day long and all into the evening. All the sick, all the lame, all the broken came out and he, and he ministered to all of them. Then uh, he prayed all night long. And then in the morning he came out and the disciples said, Every, where have you been? Everybody's been looking for you. And he looked and he said, all, from all the towns around, they had brought out the sick and the lame. And, and uh, you know what he said? This is Jesus, the son of God, love, love personified in human form said, I must go to other towns and preach the gospel also, and turned around and walked away. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, wow. Yeah. You see, we can be moved by human need, which is a good thing, but we, we, we primarily need to be moved by the Father. See, he had spent all night in prayer, and he knew what the Father's assignment was, and he comes out, and there's a human need in front of him. He could have spent a whole other day there at least, but he knew that the Father had led him to go minister somewhere else to another group of people. And then thirdly, and this was a big one for me, I had a hard time, uh, you know, believing this, but you are not the Savior. Okay, raise your, lift your hands up. Okay, do you see any light shafts coming through the holes in your hands? Anybody? Okay, say out loud, I am not the Savior. Don't allow anybody to convince you that you are the only person between them and their ultimate demise. That is rarely, if ever, the case. It's very important that you build a network of caregiving around an individual who has an acute need. You cannot be their only Savior. Because those are my qualifying factors here as we move into compassion. Okay. I believe we all can be doing more, though, in the area of compassion. When the apostles were nailing down the doctrine of the early church, um, like, who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? What is our assignment? I find it very interesting and educational that they included both the spiritual and the practical in the foundational doctrine of the church. Look at this. Galatians 2, 9 and 10. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me with the spiritual gift of preaching, and they (coughs) accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued to work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I was already eager to do. So isn't that interesting that when they were deciding what their doctrine was, and this had to do with 
um, not bringing Judaism into Christianity and the, and the, the Sabbaths and, the, and circumcision and all that because, uh, you know, the first Christians were Jews who had become Christians and they were bringing legalism. Some were trying to bring legalism into Christianity. And so they were nailing down this doctrine. Okay, what stays and what do we leave behind in the Old Testament? What made it through the cross and what didn't make it through the cross? Well, what made it through the cross was the poor. That as Christians, we are to be taking care of the poor. Now, the poor obviously is monetarily poor, but I believe poor is multifaceted. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Over the past couple of years, we've seen many people lose their source of income. Inflation certainly isn't helping. You guys enjoying the gas prices these days? Isn't that nice? But there are also people, there are people fleeing war-torn areas that have left everything they owned to save their lives. Poverty, we're going to talk, we're actually going to look at that in just a couple of minutes. Poverty goes beyond the financial. I want to hit these quickly. What other, what, what other areas would we consider somebody poor? Well, the first one would be spiritually poor. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the <coughs> poor in spirit. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, takes whatever area he finds us in poverty and he brings the kingdom to rectify that situation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are far from Christ are spiritually poor. Those who are in Christ are spiritually rich. The scriptures are clear about this. Ephesians 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we are united with Christ. There are people all around you who are spiritually poor. Spending eternity without Jesus is spiritual poverty. Peter says this, the Lord does not delay as though some were, uh, as though he was unable to act. He is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is extra, extraordinarily patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So spiritual poverty is the deepest need every human being has. Secondly, is emotional, mental poverty. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Just again, you see how Jesus finds somebody in, a, in a, a, a position of poverty, and then he brings the solution. Blessed are those who mourn. How could you be blessed if you're mourning and grieving and in sorrow? Because Jesus is coming. The Bible says that Jesus is easily touched with our weaknesses and our sufferings and our sorrows. Not hard, easily touched. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. How many of you have ever been brokenhearted? Anybody in here besides me been brokenhearted? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The mental and emotional health of our neighbors... Even some in this, in this church today, some of you online, some of your classmates, your roommate, your family members, people at work, the mental and emotional suffering that people have gone through over the last couple of years, well, it is its own pandemic. 
I was speaking to a psychologist and a therapist who was at our What I Wish My Parents Knew seminar a couple weeks ago. They worked for the school district. And uh, before the seminar began, which I was a presenter, and as they were, I was asking them about what's happening in the high schools. And they said <clears throat> a couple things. First of all, we've never had, well, it's, it's just 24-7, just students and students and students and students needing mental, emotional care. Uh, counselor's office all throughout San Diego County are packed. I mean, there's a waiting list, including pastors. I spoke to uh, a counselor that uh, my wife and I uh, have in our lives, and he said he was, he's, he was pastoring more, he's counseling more pastors than he ever has in his life. The uh, antidepressant, uh, anti-anxiety prescriptions are at an all-time high. But the, what the therapist and the psychologist said to me was this, and my own children have told me that they have friends who, who parents, forgive me for struggling today, whose parents do not validate mental health. You can be physically uh, in poverty and ill, poor health. You can have financial poverty. You can have relational poverty, which we'll talk about. But for some reason, there's still not only a stigma around mental health, but there's people who just don't even believe it's a thing, which adds in another layer of depression and loneliness to that person who's already suffering <coughs> mentally and emotionally. You can't just snap out of it. And it's not just like something like schizophrenia. <clears throat> it's negative thoughts, self-hatred, loss of joy, hopelessness. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance brought on by uh, uh, consistent stress over a long period of time that's releasing so much cortisone into your system or depletion of serotonin. These things are real. And then there's the physically poor. That is, that's why we say, you know, he or she's poor in health. That's why Jesus ministers to us physically and says these miraculous signs, everybody say amen, we need more of this right here in our own church, come on Jesus, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe, do you believe? Who believes in here, do you believe? All right, come on, they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed, poor health controls a person's life, controls the life of those around them, rob you of a God-given potential and what you have to contribute to society. And some suffer alone. Do you know as my wife is battling cancer right now? I'm a hero. You know why? It wasn't hard. I think it's like 70% of husbands leave their wives when the wives battle cancer. All I had to do was just stay and I'm a hero. And it's like 40% of wives, maybe less. I have to ask my wife for the actual stats. Much lower because women seem to be uh, more prone to caregiving and nurturing. They stay with their husbands who battle cancer. We have to be aware of the suffering among us. We have to put on our neighboring goggles and look. We have to slow down and see who is right next to us and what they might be dealing with 
so that God can pour out his compassion to them through us. There's also the relationally poor. My wife gave the testimony of how God's compassion poured through her heart to go get Sam and Josiah. This is the scripture right here, Psalm 68, 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless, a judge and protector of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. There are a lot of lonely people in San Diego County. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. Only the stubborn and rebellious dwell on the parched land. God meets the need of lonelies, uh, the lonely through community. That's why I say here at the Gathering Place Church, people don't come to church to believe, they come to belong. You can believe at home. You can, you can watch online and believe. You can read a book and come to Christ. Why do people come to church? Is to be part of a community. Is to build relationships. That's why God designed the body of Christ. And of course, there's the financially poor. There's nothing godly about poverty. You cannot find that anywhere in the Bible. We came up with that out of our own whatever. God does not call poverty uh, holy. God wants to prosper you so that you can be a blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you. Everybody say, so that. You can buy everything your wildest dreams could ever bring into your life. That you could accumulate as much as you possibly can. That you can get as much as you can, can all you get, and just sit on the can. The one with the most toys wins. That's why I'm pouring out my blessings on you. So you can have it all. You better say no a lot louder than that. Because that's, that's not the Bible. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that, say it, you can be a blessing. We are to be funnels of blessing. Here's 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you. Everybody say, so that. that. Say it out louder. Say, so that. So that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in Him, and have an abundance for every, say it out loud, every good work and act of charity. We are to be extensions of the goodness of God in the earth. Do you know a lake that only has an inlet and not an outlet is stinky? It's a swamp. This scripture shows how Jesus came to meet all of our human need. Here's Jesus saying of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Do you see this? You see the comprehensiveness of his ministry? To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, that's spiritual and physical, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is a year of jubilee where all debt is forgiven and people are set free financially. 
The Lord has come to comprehensively save us, heal us, empower us, set us free so that we could be people who bless others in the world. A while back, I taught a series called The Art of Neighboring that came from this book. In this book, this pastor talks about how he gathered a handful of pastors in the city and went and talked to the mayor, just like I have done with other pastors in our city, which is why we have all these relationships in our city with civic leaders. And we came and said, we are the church. The church is here to serve the city. We're here to be a blessing. We put on a towel and we wash feet. How can the church be a blessing to the city? We don't curse the darkness. We enter the darkness and bring the light. And so the mayor said, well, I'm going to tell you what he said. I'm going to read this to you. Can I have my glasses, uh, Francisco? I appreciate the water. I need more of my glasses. Thank you. He says this. In 2009, I gathered a group of, of 20 lead pastors in the Denver area so we could think, dream, and pray about how our churches might join forces to serve our community. We invited a local mayor, Bob Fry to join us, and we asked him a simple question, how can we as churches best work together to serve our city? The ensuing discussion revealed a laundry list of social problems similar to what many cities face, at-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look in on them. This list went on and on. Then the mayor said something that inspired our joint church movement, which it became a movement. This was the impetus. This is the mayor, quote, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Neighbors. The mayor says all of our problems would be solved if we could just learn how to be good neighbors. Hmm. Somebody said something like that a long time ago. Who was that? Do you think he do you think Jesus knew this this wasn't a spiritual truth but a pragmatic truth that would change the world? Then the mayor said something that inspired well Later, he explained that often when people identify a problem, they come to the civic officials and say something like this, quote, this is becoming a serious issue and you should start a program to address it. The mayor shared candidly with us that in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He went on to say that relationships are far more effective than programs because they are organic and ongoing. The idea is that when neighbors are in relationship with one another, the elderly, the shut-ins, get cared for by the person next door. The at-risk kids get mentored by a dad who lives on the block, and so on. He went on to say, after the mayor left the room, the pastor looked around the room to all the other pastors and says, is anybody else as embarrassed as I am? That it took a civic leader to tell the church if you guys would just love your neighbor, all the problems would be solved. And so they began a neighboring movement in their city that just dropped 
the crime rate, and all the other things were on the list has plummeted once all the churches came together. They all preached the same sermon for like six weeks, and then they all began to serve their city. And it radically transformed the city. I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. I've got two of these books left. Anybody want these books? Want to read up on this? We got one back there, and we got one right here. Boom, and boom. All right, those were both good throws, and Phil Phil caught his. Here's what he said in this book. The journey begins when we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of busyness and accumulation. I'm going to say that again because this is so true, family. And you've got to own this or nothing will happen. The journey begins when we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of busyness and accumulation. It's about making room for life and choosing to befriend those God has placed around us. That was the foreword of that book by Randy Frazee. So what can we do? Well, we need to put on our neighboring goggles. Okay, so I'm going to have you hear a couple of neighboring testimonies right here from our own congregation. And then we are going to uh, welcome a guest up today who is ministering to refugees who have fled into our city as he helps neighbor our neighbors, our new neighbors. So Matt, will you want to come up? Let's welcome Matt Casey as he comes to share a neighboring story. I don't know. It says green down there. I'm... Are we good? Can you hear me? There we, we go. go. My Hi, my name is Matt Casey. Um, John sent an email out to us, and God immediately showed me an old friend of mine that I had that I got a chance to live next to, direct neighbor. We had just moved into Encinitas, living in a little mobile home park, and loving it. We were blocked from the beach. It was great. Loved it. The issue was this neighbor would always get up on Saturday morning, and would start cutting bricks and would cut wood. And I'm like, bro, I've been getting up every day at 6 in the morning to go open up the shop and work and do all this stuff. And we didn't like each other. And then he found out I was a Christian. And he was an atheist. So then it was on. So we had these bumping heads all the time. Well, then slowly he had to have a couple surgeries over a couple years. And I watched this strong construction man whittle down to nothing. Mm-hmm. Literally, hands turned to plastic his back was fused. His ankles got screws in them. Ankles got screwed in. And he would call and say, hey, can you help me? So me and my wife, of course, would bring a meal here and there. Even on times when I didn't want to go over there, I'm like, it's too late. I'm done. And we'd bring a meal. Slowly this kept happening. But then he got to a point where he physically couldn't come out of his own house. So at that time, I was still, my legs were still messed up. So I couldn't really physically move him out of the house. So I would get one of my volunteers at my high school ministry and they would come over, physically pick him up, put him in the truck, and I, we would take him to his doctor's visits. And this went on for a good year and a half, two years, just always having to do this with him. And it was heartbreaking to watch this man mm-hmm. literally just disappear in a matter of two years. Then we moved off and he actually passed away shortly after. But one of his doctor's visits, I was sitting there in the office with him waiting and his doctor comes in he's like well mark who's who's this guy and he looks at me and he goes 
this is my Christian brother. He's the only one that can help me. Oh, man. So it flipped, showing God's love and letting my light shine so God could be glorified in that moment. Changed his whole world, changed his family. When he, like I said, he passed away. They asked me to come and speak at his, his visitation. His dad, who was very elderly, had had some time. Uh, they weren't a Christian family, but he would just come over and be like, I just want to thank you wow. for just loving on my son and being with him. So that's my neighboring story. So do something. Meet your neighbor. It's, 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 it's a really cool thing. Right? That's awesome. 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 Very good. And then Stephanie, you have a neighboring story. 